I hope you have your Bibles this morning. If you could not manage to bring it for whatever reason, they're going to be, the Scripture's going to be on the screens to either side of me. But we're going to be looking through a story this morning. 430 years. Can you hold that amount in your mind? That's how long the people of Israel were slaves to cruel Egypt. 430 years. Until finally Israel cried out and God heard them and He sent a deliverer. And we all know His name was Moses. Plague after plague God inflicted upon Egypt until finally their ruler, Pharaoh, let them go. And the Jews left. Listen, 600,000 men, besides women and children, some number that closer to 2 million plus large flocks of animals and large herds. Yet we often treat the Exodus story like a history textbook. We fail to see its relevance to us. So what we're going to be doing this morning is while we're looking at a true event that took place in history, we're also going to see it as a picture of the good news of the Gospel story. You know, it's really awkward preaching in this gymnasium. I'll tell you why. Because you're so far from me. I wish that you could be right in my living room and I could just be on a couch and just walk you through this story. It's beautiful. It's powerful. And it has characters that play on the Gospel stage. You remember cruel tyrant Pharaoh? He's a human Satan. He prefigures Satan. You have powerful Egypt, and the Bible talks about Egypt as being this God-opposing, bondage-making world system that we all live in. So you've got Pharaoh, who looks and is a type of Satan, and you've got Egypt, which is a type of the world that opposes God and wants all of us to be in what is called in Scripture a house of slavery. And then you've got Moses. And Moses foreshadows Jesus Christ, as what Hebrews 3 tells us. He's the deliverer who leads God's people out of death and into life. And you've got Israel, and we're all captured by Israel. Exodus from Egypt and the crossing of the Red Sea was a forecast of a greater exodus that was to come. Now listen, this is so important. This greater exodus was deliverance from sin through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Can you amen that? So this morning, Easter morning, let's stand together. Let's feel the salt spray. And let's hear the waves hit the bank. And let's imagine the terror of the, the approaching Egyptians. Let's climb into the story. And let's see what the Lord shows us this morning. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Exodus. It's a brilliantly told story of the Gospel. It is powerful. And Lord, I don't know the spiritual condition of every person here. I know where I stand. Lord, every person here knows where they stand. Lord, I pray that You will teach us, You will speak to us this morning, 
that you will make it clear whether we are on one side of the Red Sea or the other. Whether we have yet walked on dry ground through the escape of Jesus Christ. Lord, teach us to be honest. You know there's no sense of a pretense. Help us to do business with the Gospel this morning. And in Jesus' name, Amen. God saves His people from certain death. If you've got your Bibles open, Exodus chapter 14, would you climb into this story with me? Remember, this isn't just a historical event. This is that, but it portrays something much, much deeper. Let's get into it, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Haharoth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will save the people of Israel. They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Now you caught something very interesting there, right? The Lord who is leading them, a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, just the end of chapter 13 shows us that. God's leading them, and He turns them back. And He leads them straight, now listen, right into a dead end. Wow. It's a little frightening, Lord. Interestingly, there was a faster way to the land of promise. It was called the Via Maris. It meant the way of the sea. It was a coastal road. It went straight to the promised land. But God turns them back, takes them south, Because God knows something that we've got to hear this morning, and here it is. It's easier to take a person out of slavery than it is to take slavery out of a person. He leads them right to the Red Sea called the Reed Sea, trapped. They were shut in by the wilderness on one side, that's a desert. And the Red Sea from another, it's all mountainous in that area. And here all of a sudden comes Egypt. And as the reports came in to Pharaoh that the people are lost, that they're wandering, he says this in verse 5, what is this that we've done? That we have let Israel go from serving us. What a kind way of saying that. They lost their slaves. He lost his labor force. Who's going to build his monuments? Who's going to build his store cities? Now that he's lost his slaves. And so listen, you're an Israelite. You're in this story. You're camped now by the Red Sea. You've got mountains locking you in. And all of a sudden, your scouts tell you the entire army's coming after us. Like a roaring lion seeking to devour. God leads them to Pi-Haharoth, which was a canal system. Ironically, it meant a place of liberty. Right to Migdal, which was a mountainous, fortified town. It was an Egyptian military outpost. And right to Baal-Zephon, which was a Canaanite god that Egypt worshipped. Listen, this was the god of the storm. So Pharaoh has, is coming for them. and the, He's got every advantage you could possibly imagine. He's got them locked in. He's got them right near his His God's power base, they have nowhere to go. From Israel's perspective, they're trapped and they're about to die. And here comes the military might of the most powerful 
nation in the world, and they are enraged former masters. Have you ever been scared out of your mind? What comes to your mind just now when I ask that? Likely, you can multiply that because this looked like the end in a horrific manner. As you get to verse 10, and it's not surprising that when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel feared greatly, and the people of Israel cried out to God, and they said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Hopeless, helpless, powerless. Listen, friends, you've got to hear this. They could not save themselves. Death was approaching. And they were ready to go back to their former masters. This is faithlessness. This is why the psalmist says they did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but they rebelled by the sea, at the Red Sea. Yet God saved them for His name's sake that He might make known His mighty power. So listen, we've come to the first point. As we've climbed into this story, and the question to us is, are we still on the side of the Red Sea where sin has held you in bondage, where the Egypt of this world has made you a slave, and where Satan, the Pharaoh of Egypt, is coming to lay claim his ownership. Are you there? Well, the story moves on, and we see that God saves His people by grace. In verse 13, And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm. And see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. You ever wondered what it means to stand firm? It seems so simple. Stand firm. It means to stand still. It means to do nothing. God will save God says, do nothing. I know your enemy is approaching. I know you have nowhere to go. I know you have no way to save yourselves. Stand still because I'm about to do something. I can assure you that we all know that doing nothing and standing still as your enemy is approaching is incredibly unnatural and difficult. Charles Spurgeon had something to say about standing still. I want to read it to you. You will think it's a very easy thing to stand still, but it is one of the postures which a Christian soldier learns not without years of teaching. I find, Spurgeon says, that marching and quick marching are much easier to God's warriors than standing still. To stand at ease in the midst of tribulation shows a veteran spirit, long experience, and much, much grace. We want to do something. We want to be able to contribute to our salvation. We want to partner with God as He saves us. But He says, no, you can't. If you add into salvation, if you try to partner with Me, you reduce salvation and you make it impossible. Stand still. Your efforts aren't going to save you, Israel. They're not going to help you escape what's approaching. You know, every single... Now listen, I'm not sure. You may be coming here this morning 
And you might be a lifelong adherent to another religion. I don't know your story. But can I tell you gently from my experience, every single religion that I have ever studied, every person in another religion that has ever shared their story with me has a common denominator. There's something you've got to do to be saved. Judaism teaches that a person will ultimately be saved by how one keeps God's commandments obediently. Jehovah's Witnesses, they teach that salvation is earned by your door-to-door work. Scientologists, listen to this, they work with an auditor on his or her hang-ups to achieve the state of clear, and then one can progress up the bridge to total freedom. Buddhism teaches that nirvana is achieved when one eliminates all desires or cravings. Islam requires you to perform good deeds to tip the balance from good to evil, from evil to good toward eternal life. Mormons believe that they're going to be resurrected by grace, but saved by good works. Only Christianity, in my experience, I've never found an exception yet, teaches that you've got to stand still. You can do nothing to contribute to your salvation. This is what the Scriptures teach. By grace, you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own thing, Paul says. It's the gift of God. It's a gift. It's not as a result of works so that no one can boast. And he's echoing that in Romans 4. And to the one who does not work, but trusts Him who justifies the ungodly, His faith is counted as righteousness. Friends, the message of the Red Sea is that there is nothing we can do to save ourselves, but God can. And the Gospel requires us to stand still, to be silent. The battle is the Lord's and He's going to gain glory by making a way of escape from spiritual death. But did you notice something in this passage? It's so important. Verse 13 says, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. If I were to ask you, What is it that they were to see? What is it that they were to watch? You might say it's the miraculous event that God was about to accomplish. Friends, on one level that's true, but there's something more. There's something more beautiful here. Because the Hebrew word for salvation is Yeshua. Did you see that? It's Yeshua. Yeshua is translated... And gives us our English word in the, from the Greek, Jehovah will save. It's the name of Jesus in the New Testament. Yeshua is Jesus. God is saying through Moses, stand still, don't fear, don't do anything. Just keep your eyes on the Jesus of Yahweh. Did you know Jesus is all through the Old Testament? Are your eyes on Jesus? This Jesus acts as as a stone that was rejected. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 
Yeshua is it. There's no other backup plan of God. Salvation has always been the work of Christ. He alone can provide a way of escape. This is the good news. And like Israel, all of us, all of us could not escape. None of us could escape our old master in our, old, in our own power. So God made a way of escape and His name is Jesus. It's through Him that the eyes of faith land. Exodus 14, verse 21 tells us, And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. You know, there's something beautiful about this strong east wind. It's the title of this sermon. And I don't know, maybe you've never drawn this conclusion before from Scripture, but listen, if I could come out of here this morning teaching you anything, I want to teach you about not only Yeshua being Jesus of Yahweh, I want to teach you about the east wind. So listen to this. This is really interesting. Why is it an east wind? I mean, come on, haven't you ever asked? Why is it not a west wind? Or why is it not a biblical north wind, which has been the, the wind of judgment? I mean, God's going to judge the Egyptians. Why not, why not a north wind? Friends, a wind blowing out of the east toward the west, that's an east wind. That's significant. Do you remember that it was to the east that God expelled Adam and Eve from the garden? Do you remember to the east? Do you remember murderous Cain? went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the east? Do you remember 40 years after the Red Sea crossing, Israel would cross the Jordan from the east going to the west? Can you imagine being a Jewish worshiper approaching the temple of God, climbing those 15 steps to the mount, going through the court of Gentiles to the court of women, or Israel to the court of women, to the court of priests, and to the holy place, and to the most holy place, and all the while you're traveling west towards God. Remember the wise men who came out of the east to travel west to where the Savior of the world was born. And it brings to mind the words of the psalmist who promises us that God, God throws our confessed sins as far as the east where God's presence isn't, to the west where God's presence is. Friends, you can't get further apart than where God is and where God isn't. The east all through Scripture is the place of judgment. It's the place where God is not in heaven. The west is the place of His salvation and the place of His favor. An east wind blows from the east to the west and it divides the Red Sea to make salvation for Israel. Isn't that interesting? So Moses stretched out his hand, verse 27, over the sea. And the sea returned to its normal course. The people of Israel had passed on dry ground. And Egypt had come in after them. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right and to their left. 
Friends, why was Israel able to cross but not Egypt? I mean, don't you think of these things along with me? I mean, how can Israel make it, but Egypt can't? Well, Hebrews 11.20 tells us the answer. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Israel had faith. Egypt had none. I want you to picture with me the vastness of those waters. Come on, the Red Sea is 1,400 miles long. In some spots, 200 miles wide. Probably this was a crossing closer, they think, to the Suez Canal where that is today. Much, much narrower. But the walls of water vastly piled on their left and on their right. And they didn't walk through mud. They walked in dry ground with sure footing. Confidence in their steps. And I guarantee, listen, I guarantee if we were there and you walked into and in the midst of those walls of water, some of us would be walking with faith. Some of us would be boasting on how great our God is. Some of us, and likely me, would be going, I don't know about this. I'm pretty sure I'm going to die. But they walked. And friends, our hope is this. It doesn't matter how strong your faith is. It doesn't matter how weak your faith is. You can enter the waters with questions and doubts. But do you have faith? Because the salvation doesn't come through the substance of our faith. It comes through the object of our faith. You ought to be amening that in your souls because none of us have faith like Moses We're not saved by the quality of our faith. We're saved by the object of our faith. And you might step into those waters with faltering steps and shaking knees. Your faith shot all the way through with uncertainty. But you will be saved as you step forward in Christ. Because Jesus is the salvation of the Lord. Certain death approached. God saved through grace by faith. Now let me give you the third, and we're going to be quick with this. God saves His people to eternal life. It may be that you're wondering, where's the Easter message? I mean, come on, Tim, you're talking about death and bodies of Egyptians lying on the shores of the Red Sea. Where's the good stuff? Friends, all of us were born into slavery. All of us were born into bondage to sin. Come on, isn't that true? You don't have to look very far to know that you're a sinner. And all of us live in the Egypt of this world, and that world wants to trap you into its God-opposing, Christ-rejecting bondage. The world can stomach the name of God, but listen, it can't stand Jesus. And all of us have the same powerful Pharaoh, the same prince of this world. His name is Satan. He hates you. He hates me simply because I'm created and so are you in the image of God. So who's going to save us? Well, the Jesus of Yahweh can who came to earth to seek and to save the lost. Friends, it was almost midnight. Thursday evening. Hours before his crucifixion. 
And where was Jesus? He was face down on the earth. And on the dirt of the Garden of Gethsemane, in anguish, His hour had come. His enemies were nearing, just like the Egyptians to Israel. And He was in anguish, listen, not from the pain. Listen, every Jew knew what crucifixion was because they all had seen it. There wasn't a Jew there that didn't know what it was like to be crucified. But it wasn't anguish from the pain that Jesus was experiencing. He had anguish because he knew that he was going to be taking, pretty soon within hours, his first swallow of the vile liquid of sin and that dark clouds of his Father's wrath are going to fall right on top of him. And it was at night that the Red Sea crossing took place. It's going to be in the darkness that Jesus would triumph over Satan as darkness came over the land at noon while he hung on that cross. His anguish, friends, was so deep, Luke tells us that his capillaries burst. Listen, this, word, this is a common condition called hematridosis. And when they burst, they leak out through the pores and they mix with sweat and sweaty blood dropped to the ground. And if you remember the Israelites, they cried out in terror on the bank of the sea, but Jesus prayed to His Father in faith-filled anguish. He says, not my will, but yours be done. And what was the Father's response? Listen, dads, wouldn't you go down and say, son, you don't need to do this. I can't stand when my children have to go get shots. Fills me with anxiety. Much less the father watching his son bear the weight of the sins of the world. But that's not what God did. He didn't come down and relieve him of the cross. He sent an angel to strengthen him to go ahead. And he said this, step into the water, son. Our work of redemption is nearly complete. And Jesus did. Nine o'clock Friday morning as He allowed Himself to be nailed on that cross. And friends, listen, you've got to get the tie-in to Israel. The walls of sin rose to His left and rose to His right. And higher even than that, the storms of God's holy wrath were churning in the night sky. And the hideous waters of those wrath, the wrath of God and the judgment of God towards sin this time didn't fall on the Egyptians. This time it fell on His own Son. And friends, listen, it drowned Him and crushed Him beneath its weight. The poisonous brew of my sins, Tim Ackley, and your sins, put your name in there, all of our sins were poured out of the cup of God's wrath and Jesus, the Yeshua of Yahweh drank it to the very end. You did nothing. Fear not. Stand still. You can contribute nothing to your salvation. But I can. And all the while, the words of Exodus 14 echo forth, Fear not. Stand firm. See the Jesus of Yahweh. He will save you. And when the morning 
light broke back in Exodus 14. There were the dead bodies of the Egyptian army on the shore. Listen, when Saturday morning broke, the day after he was crucified, there was the body of Jesus in the tomb. And it stayed there for three days, just like Jonah was in the belly of that great fish for three days. And as that fish spit Jonah out of the shore, on the third day, the power of God spit Christ out of the grave, raising Him up, victorious over sin that we had committed, conquering death, and it tore apart the power of the Pharaoh of this world. His name is Satan. Friends, Jesus is alive. That's why we're here. He made a safe passage through the Red Sea of God's judgment and all those who heed His call to step onto dry ground in faith, no matter how weak your faith is, it's the object of your faith that saves. And if you have ears and eyes of faith, then friends, you're going to hear the waves of the Red Sea, and you're going to smell the salt spray when you read John chapter 5 because it says, very truly, I tell you, Jesus says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but listen, has crossed over from death to life. That's Red Sea language. This is our hope, friends. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old lies dead at the bottom of the sea. It cannot come back. It cannot cross. The new has come. Listen, let's, let's be painfully transparent. Because I am almost done. So give me your attention just for another minute. I don't know where you are. I really don't. You do. Friends, you're either on one side of the Red Sea or the other. That's the beauty of Christianity. Salvation's instantaneous. Every other religion I've ever studied, you drive a pylon through that Red Sea, you build a bridge through some form of works, and then when you get to the end, you put another pylon and you build a bridge, extend it a little further, but you never can get across. They try to go over the Red Sea. Jesus went through it and created a way for us. Which side of the sea are you on? Don't let that threaten you. I'm not judging you. There's nothing in my heart that wants to judge you. I want you to be saved. And I know the Scripture says there's only one way. You've got to fear not. Be still. Stand firm. Be quiet. Let God do His work. And He did it through Christ. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. If you put your faith, faltering as it may be, on Him, and if your eyes have been drawn to the Jesus of Yahweh, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And again, I'm asking that you would be transparent. I'm going to pray for you in a minute, but listen, I don't know if this message touched you, the hope of the Gospel. But I just want to simply ask you, if you know, and the Lord has shown you, and you know if He has, because you're probably wrestling with Him. And that anxiety is probably going through you, but if you know you've not yet crossed that Red Sea, if you've not made 
the way of escape through Jesus. Put your eyes of faith on Him. If you've not yet done that, would you just simply, and this is all I'm going to ask you to do, would you just simply raise your hand in honesty? Would you be brave enough to do that? Thank you. I see those hands. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see your hands. I see that hand. Who else? Whether my eyes have made contact with yours or not, God's have. And He is speaking to you this morning. He is telling you there is a way of escape. There is salvation in my Son, Jesus. And I'm going to pray for you. Listen, there's no magical prayer. Just throw your faith on Jesus and admit there's no other way. There's nothing you can do. He did it all. And He freely and lovingly took all of your sins and charged them to His account. And He returned to you His righteousness, His forgiveness, your salvation. Just pray that in your own words. And find somebody to share that with that can help you on this journey. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for my friends that are here. God, thank you for the message of Easter. Thank you for the gospel that's seen in Exodus 14. I thank you, Lord, for the Jesus of Yahweh that made a way that we could not. Rescuing us from the Egypt of this world, that house of slavery, and from the Pharaoh of Egypt, Satan. Doing away with our own sins that we freely committed. Lord, thank you for that. And for my friends who have raised their hands this morning, Lord, I pray that as they pray to you right now, and maybe it'll sound something like this Father, God, Jesus, Yeshua, I have sinned. I've seen that I'm on the side of the Red Sea where death is approaching and I'm a slave. I'm a bondage to that sin and I can't get it out of my life. But the pastor said that you've made a way and his name is Jesus. And part of me resonates with that. I believe that. I don't know if I have all the answers, but I believe that. And I'm asking you, Jesus, who died on the cross for me, was buried with my sins, and who rose, Lord, that You would give me that resurrected life. Save me, Jesus, please. Teach me to walk on the other side of the Red Sea in obedience. Thank You. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.